Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. Clabby, we love you guys. They do such a great job, and so much of what happens around the church here is because of this couple, and uh, we're very thankful for you guys. You are faithful. Yes, yes we do. Hey, um, they mentioned spring is sprung. Um, I'm still, I think the jury's out on that one. Um, <clears throat> pretty sure it snowed, and uh, that, <laughs> super annoying, okay, super annoying. But um, spring is spring is coming-ish. Um, but Easter is on its way, as they mentioned. We've got four services this year for Easter. Um, 8, 9, 15, 10, 30, and 11, 45. And what that means is you're going to have to pick a different service than when you normally come to church. Because you might show up and church might be halfway through. So just for Easter only, the service times are changing. So pay attention to that and make plans on what, when you want to be here. And speaking of Easter, there's a, there's a way that I want you to get involved in, in, um, in just participating in Easter here. Uh, I just want to stop for a second. If, if you don't know, Easter is like the time when your friends, family, coworker, those that are far from God are often willing to come to church with you. So maximize that. Make, make the most of it. Um, your, your best opportunity to see them saved and get plugged into a healthy church is, is just in a couple weeks. So make the most of it. And one of the ways I would like you to do that is um, on the seat near you, there is one of these cards. And I want this card to become your prayer list for the next couple of weeks. What I want you to do is just write the name of five people that are either far from God or just they need Jesus in their life. Um, whether they're in town or they're maybe across the ocean serving somewhere, I, I want you to write the name of five people. And for the next five weeks, or next, sorry, the next couple of weeks leading up to Easter, I want you to begin praying for the people on this list. So put this in your Bible, put it on your refrigerator, put it on your desk. And every time you see this, I just want you to pray over those names. Um, that those people that God is drawing, that his spirit is drawing, that, that the Lord would just cultivate their heart, that he would prepare their heart to be able to hear the gospel in a really clear way, um, because I believe God has full intention to see all of your friends, all of your family, all of your coworkers come to know him fully and to follow him fully. Um, so pray. The next thing I would say is this, uh, you can invite, so invite all these people. Uh, invite the people that are on your list. Begin praying for them now and invite them to church um, for Easter service. Uh, one of one of four services. And um, then the next thing I would say is this, and this is a self-serving thing-ish. Um, you can serve on Easter. Yeah. 
somebody said, how are you going to do four services? And I was like, I don't know. We need more people to help. Like, we need lots of people. So on Easter, show up before your service you're planning on coming to, or maybe just pick a service you want to serve at. Like, this is the one background check and all the stuff. But if you want to greet people, if you want to welcome people, if you want to help see people, we need you. Consider yourself. Go. Like, yes. On the team. On the team. And, um, and here's why. And here's why. Because if you were the one that brought a friend to church on Easter, and let's say they, they got greeted at the door, but then for the rest of the day, nobody said boo to them, you'd be a little disappointed. You'd be like, I, I, just, I just leveraged my friendship or leveraged my relationship, whatever it is, for the kingdom of God. And I'm really wanting to see God do a life change in this person's life, but no one is participating in that process with me. And so let's not be that kind of church. Let's not be that kind of church. What that means is you have to view yourself as activated, on mission. When people are here, you're, you're going to go find them, greet them, share the love of God with them, see what God can do in their life, find ways you can help meet their needs, build relationships with people. Um, let, let's be on mission. Is that all right? And then the last way that you can participate for Easter is this. You can share your seat. Hey, come on. We're in a smaller room. I don't know if you know this. Um, Clark mentioned that we're in construction. We're getting ready to go that way in a couple months. But what this whole construction thing means is we lost about 100 chairs. So we're pretty, pretty tight, pretty packed most of the time. So for Easter, I would encourage you, if, if you're bringing a guest... Bring them to one of the two middle services, probably. Or bring them whenever they want to come. Whenever's convenient, they'll come. But if you don't have anybody coming with you, and you are flexible in your time schedule, choose like the 11.45 or the 8 o'clock service to make seats available for those services that are going to be packed. Is that all right? Somebody's like, oh, fine. I'll do it. We've been... Um, been in a collection of messages out of the book of Romans, chapter 8. Are you guys enjoying this? Good. Thank you for stroking my ego by saying yes. So, no, I'm just loving this. Romans, chapter 8, and, and even today's message is just a foundational chapter in your walk with God. It is just packed with dense theology the whole way through it. And, um, and so I just hope that this is encouraging, giving you strength in your faith, and um, give, giving you like, like some, some oomph to your walk with God. Um, I, um, a couple years ago, I, I had a friend that knew that I had, um, I was raised in Alaska, and I grew up, Alaska and the Yukon, and so I, I grew up. Um, where we would hunt and fish for everything, uh, any kind of protein that we had. So um, all, the, all the meat we ate was pretty much stuff like that, that we killed. So very rare, very seldom did we buy something at the store. I think the only time my parents ever bought steak was when we would go moose hunting. They would, they would buy steak, and then after we shot the first moose, they, we would eat the steak. That, that's, that's, how we, that's how we rolled. And, um, and it was that or... It was my, my dad's buddy always wanted to eat the liver. So my dad was like, I'm bringing a steak because I don't eat oil filters and I don't eat livers. <clears throat> but I had a friend here in town that was like, hey, why don't you um, come use 
uh, our property, you can go out and, and hunt an elk on our property. And, and I said, oh, that, that would be fantastic. And it's got to be easy. I've hunted moose. I've got to hunt a caribou. Elk have got to be easy to find. <laughs> no, they're not easy to find at all. And so uh, the day before hunting season started, I went out to this place. That they, they'd give me a map of the, of the area. And so I got out there and um, set up camp. And I, I started riding a four-wheeler all over, going through gates, like, going up on mountains, looking in valleys, like going, going all over, trying to figure out where they were. And as the day progressed, I started before daylight, and, and as the day progressed, I started noticing this white truck just uh, off in the bottom of the valley at one point, another place I'd see it driving up. And it seemed to be always kind of behind where I had been. Like if I was up on this hill, about two hours later, it would be on this hill. And, and it just sort of all over. And at one point, I'm way up on the mountain, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking around in, the, in the, the slopes looking for elk, and I see this white pickup truck down in the valley, and I, I turn, and I look down at them, and they've got a, a spotting scope out, and they're looking at me up the hill. And I'm like, I'm not, I may look like an elk, but I'm not an elk. <laughs> and uh, so I, I get way up there, and, and I, I Walk down this valley, and I find this area where there's some, some fresh tracks and, um, and droppings and stuff like that. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm finding where they're at. Because I didn't know what I was looking for. So I'm starting to find the right area. And as I'm walking back up to the four-wheeler, I see this white truck pull out of the cattle fence and park right next to my four-wheeler. And, and I realize this is not a four-wheel drive, you know, backcountry type of truck. This is a dually like ranch truck this is a truck truck this is a man's truck like this is a <laughs> real truck and this guy parks next to me and 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 sits and he's just sitting there waiting while I walk I'm not kidding like 15 minutes to get up this hill so I'm walking up the hill and he's probably just drinking coffee just enjoying himself while I'm getting up there and I finally get up to the truck and when I get to the truck he rolls down the window and this is like a for real, for real cowboy. Okay, like a for real, like the hat and the whole thing. Because I'm from Alaska. Alaska, we don't have cowboys. We got like fishermen, we got mountain people, we got pipeline people. That's it. In fact, when we first moved here, we, we went to church. On the very first Sunday, we were in church. My son saw some, some men that were dressed like cowboys. He said, Dad, I want a costume just like that. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's a costume, bud. I think that's the real deal. And so that's what this, this guy looks. He's like the real deal. I, and and he, he starts talking with that slow, calm drawl that like people that deal with livestock, they talk low and slow. They're just, they're not like all like jittery and like, no, no, no. Talk real slow. And he says, <clears throat> he says, well, I've been chasing you all day. I'm like, I just met Chick Baudry from Louis L'Amour. This is amazing. He's like, I've been chasing you all day. You've been pretty busy. He said, you've been, he says this, you've been pushing all over these parts. And it is strictly prohibited. Like, number one, I've never had someone tell me I've been pushing all over these parts. Like, that was the coolest thing ever. And I've never had somebody use the word prohibited in a normal sentence. Like, it's just, it was amazing. I was just like, oh, this is so cool. <clears throat> and he's like, it's strictly prohibited. 
And, uh, and it's at that point I realized this is the ranch manager of the property I've been invited to go on. And, and he's doing his job. He's kicking people. He's kicking hunters off the property. And so, so I start digging in my pocket. And, of course, I've just climbed up this mountain. So I'm just, I'm just sucking wind. I'm like, ah, ah. I pull out this, this piece of paper and I unfold it and I hand it to him. And it's the paper that the person who had invited me had, had handwritten um, an invitation to hunt their property. He sits there and he reads it. He's super slow. He's reading the whole thing, making sure every, reading the whole thing, and he takes it, and he slowly folds it back up. He hands it to me, and he says, well, if so-and-so says you are welcome here, he says, you have access to everything here. In fact, stop by the farmhouse, and we'll give you a key to all the gates. I think, I know, let's go. I think so many of us, though, in our walk with God, we, we treat our walk with God as though we are trespassing in a space that we've been invited to. You have been granted full access by God into a new and free life. Stop living as though you are a trespasser. The gates are open to you. You have the keys. You've been invited to enjoy the whole ranch. Because of Jesus and his work on the cross, you have access to God. You have been granted full access to everything God gives to anyone else. He wants to give it. To you. And so as Paul wraps up this huge argument in Romans chapter 8, he finishes with this, this question. He says in verse 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? What wonderful things are we talking about? We're talking about the things I have been preaching about for the last three weeks. If, if you haven't heard them, go back and listen to the podcast and if you're one of the people that says, well, why don't you have it on video? Do you know how to run a camera? <laughs> people always say that. Well, this church has cameras. Great. We got cameras. We just don't got people willing to do it. <laughs> you got a bitter pastor right now. <laughs> but um, he says because of these these wonderful things. Well, what wonderful things? That the way our lives are, because our lives are inconsistent, we sometimes feel like, like I, I do the things I don't want to do, and so, so God must not love me. God must, must not care. But these wonderful things are that through the cross of Jesus, he canceled the consequences of sin, and he canceled the power of sin. So he gives you right standing with God, and then he also removes sin's ability to keep derailing with God and gives you the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to live an overcoming life in God. Then he goes on and he says, like, you've been adopted by God. You, you had this orphan mentality that I'm just out on my own. I'm, I'm lost and I'm on my own. And God says, no, she's my daughter. I pick her. I pick him. You've been adopted by God. It also says you've been birthed into the family of Christ. You were birthed into this thing and adopted into this thing. So you are then heirs, heirs with Christ. You have full access to everything a child of God should have. 
He then says all the difficulties that you work, that you deal with in your life, all the struggles, all the pains, they all work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That means anything the enemy throws at me, any circumstance, any difficulty in life, God, through this access I have with him, he will use it all for my good. Come on, somebody. That's good news. And so Paul says, now that you know all of that, what should we say? He answers it. He says this, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? If God is for you, what is holding you back? If God is for you, there is no one that can prevent you from experiencing the full access to all that God has for your life. If God is for you, there's not a gate that you can't access. If God is for you, there's not a valley you can't hunt. If God is for you, you have full access. One of the things, so sometimes we think like, well, you don't understand. I'm just in a season of life that, you know, it's these kids, Pastor. It's these kids. I'm, I'm a young mother with little kids, and it's just changed my life. And so now I, I just can't really experience things the way I used to experience them because i got these little kids. Can I just say, like those kids, that you are in a season, but they cannot prevent you from having full access to God. You don't understand, Pastor. I, I, my bank account is just struggling. It's hurting hard right now. It's just I, I'm crashing my teeth against the concrete frequently. Can I tell you that cannot prevent you from having access to God? My, maybe your roommate is just a complete knucklehead. Your roommate cannot stop you. Even if your roommate is your spouse. Who can stand against you? If God is for you, who can stand against you? And, and this verse does not mean that God is a genie, that you, you rub the genie bottle and then God does, like he, he, he solves every problem in your life. That's not what this means. Because when we hear that, if God is for me, who can be against me? That sounds great, but the truth is many of us do know that in life there have been things against us. We can just look at church history, and we know that in, in church history alone, there, there's been, for the vast majority of the history of the church, there's been persecution and oppression towards the church. Christians have been murdered. Christians have been beaten. Christians have been suppressed. In fact, America is just like a unique anomaly in the history of the world. And when America swings to be like the rest of the world, we will finally fit in. Because we believe that, that the sort of the American experience is the gospel. It's not the gospel. We just have freedom to experience the gospel in a unique way. So we know that the governments and, and different agencies throughout history have, have come against the church, have come against believers. I, I love reading stories about the, the Chinese Christians and We've got some friends that just came back from Cuba, and they spent some time with some Cuban Christians. That, 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 that They're not experiencing the same freedom as you. So, so is it true that if God's for you, who can be against you? The Bible also is very clear that there are demonic forces against you. Preacher, that's a little bit extreme. It's not extreme if you read your Bible. 
if you read your Bible, it's very normal to understand that we live in a spiritual world. And, and the Bible calls it principalities and powers, these, these demonic entities that, that, that work to derail your life, to, to separate you from God, to separate you from other people. Like these are things that are, that are actively trying to... Uh, another area that, that we might experience in our life that, that I think often comes between us and God, like this, this thing that we allow to, to have a voice into our life. It's us. It's you. It's me. Sometimes it's not the devil. Sometimes it's just little old me. Sometimes I can know the truth of the Word of God, but I don't know the truth of the Word of God. You know, like I can, I can have the head knowledge, but I don't have the heart knowledge. This is, this is why the Bible says that your, your heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. It's not because you are somehow inherently this wicked, terrible person. It's because your heart has this unique ability to say, yeah, God says it's true, but I don't feel that way. And the way I feel is more important than what is true in the word of God. And so I'm going to elevate my feeling above the knowledge of the word of God. It's not that you are terrible. It's that that your heart will condemn you. Even though your mind says, no, I'm justified in Christ, your heart will condemn you. This is why the Bible says, even if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. This passage is not saying that nothing will ever come back, come, come to you. Nothing will ever confront you. You'll never have a difficulty in your life. What this passage is saying is that anything in your life that comes against the knowledge of God, he's bigger than it. And if God is for you, who can be against you? It reminds me of when I was a little kid. I, 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 was, uh, I, I, was, I was young and mouthy. Anybody else young and mouthy? <clears throat> And I remember in the, in the playground, we'd be playing football with other kids, and, 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 you know, I'd start getting it into some kid about where the, where the, whether they said enough alligators when they were doing, you know, did you guys do alligators or steamboats? What'd you guys, okay, never mind. I got, you know how kids get, we just start arguing about something, and the next thing you know, it turns into this, it's just, I'm going to tell my brother, and he's going to beat you up. And I didn't have a good defense. I was like, I'm going to tell my sister. Like, I'm, I've got, <laughs> I don't have a big brother. I'm going to tell my sister. But my sister's 10 years older than both of us. I should take us all down, you know. <clears throat> but then there's like this, this weird, ominous, like, is his big brother, is he going to show up at the playground and beat me up? Like, and there's this ominous, all-powerful big brother out there that's somehow just like going to pounce on you when you're not looking for it. What was going on? What was going on was they had a defender. Like they, they had somebody on their side that was bigger than me, that was bigger than the situation. If God is for me, he is my defender. You remember in The Lion King when the, when the little lion is like, he, he's getting into it with the, the bad guys are coming, he starts roaring. But then the big lion's behind him, he's like, it's like Mufasa. Like, That's what we're talking about here. If God is for you, who can be against you? He's got your back. He's your defender. 
This message today may not be new to any of you, but this is foundational in your walk with God. And my job isn't to present new content that blows your mind every week. My job is to remind you of the goodness of God, that he's for you. He's for you. And since God is for me, he is my defender. I don't have to stand on my own two feet. I have him and all the weight that comes with him behind me. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, the next verse, it says, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? This is saying that not only is God my defender, but since God is for us, he is our provider. He is our provider. That the work on the cross was not just something to somehow make you saved, free from sin, but even more than that, goes beyond freedom from the consequences and the power of sin. But he is a God that wants to provide everything you need. If he wouldn't spare his own son for you, he won't spare anything else for you. He's a provider today. He's a provider. What is it that you need? Is is your heart lonely and longing for companionship? I'm telling you, he didn't spare his son. He'll bring a companion into your life. What is it you're looking for? Financial relief. He didn't spare his own son. He'll bring you that financial relief. He'll bring somebody in your life that'll teach you how to write a budget. Sometimes the way God works is through people. Through people and hard work. I'm just saying, like, like he, he, he's a provider. He's going to give you everything you need. This is the beauty of the work on the cross. It's not just this theoretical, God has saved me, but he has saved me, he's defending me, and now he's providing for me. Sometimes there's, there's this pushback when, when you preach a message like this, and it's like, oh, this is, you just make, you make this whole thing sound cheap. Like, I don't have to do anything. Grace is cheap. No, there's nothing cheap about grace. The God of the universe, he is the word of God. He reveals himself on earth, descends, like humbles himself to the point of a human on a, on a cross like a slave's death. The cross was a, was a punishment mechanism developed by the Romans that the Romans were embarrassed to say that they invented it. So they said the Assyrians and the Babylonians invented it, but the truth is the Romans are the ones that invented it. It. it was so terrible. They would only describe it as something they did to slaves. And there's not, there, there, there's only four recorded um, accounts in all of history of somebody on a cross. Yeah. Other than people describing what it was for. But there's only four eyewitness accounts of what a cross did. And they are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like I'm saying, he humbles himself. The God of the universe that speaks the world into existence humbles himself. To the point of dying a slave's death so that you and I can be free from the consequences and the power of sin in our lives. It's nothing cheap about it. There's nothing cheap. It caused him everything. And if he was willing to pay everything for that, he cares about your needs. Pastor, I don't know if I should pray, like I can pray for other people, but I don't know if I should pray for myself because I feel like that's kind of selfish. No. 
if he said you have access to the whole ranch, you can take that key and put it in the lock of prayer and begin allowing God access into areas of your life. There's more to this walk with God than just being saved. He is also our provider. He's our provider. So if God is for me, who can be against me? Like, like I don't have to lean into the stock market. As though, as if I sock away enough money into some sort of IRA, that someday that will protect me and, and supply all my needs. Yes, we need to be wise with our finances. But ultimately, God is our provider. Like, I don't need to worry about all the decisions that are made in a White House across the country. Ultimately, God is my defender. I don't need to worry about whether banks have the securities in place that they need to have. Ultimately, God is my provider and my defender. It goes on, and this is, this is interesting. He says, who dares, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. This means the next time that voice comes in the back of your head and says, yeah you, yeah, you repented and believed, but you're still struggling. Yeah, you're trying to be a Christian, but you're such a hypocrite. The next time that voice condemns, the next time that voice shows up to accuse, understand this, that Paul says there, there's no one that can condemn us because God makes us right with himself. So since God is for us, Jesus is our righteousness. And, and I know righteousness, that's a big Christian-y word. But I think it's okay to have certain words to describe certain things. Words have meaning. When we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about this idea of being in right standing with God. And so many of us think that, that the only way we're going to be right with God is if we toe the line and act the part and do all the things. If we avoid all the bad things and never say the bad words and do all the good things, that somehow that makes us right with God. But can I tell you, the Bible's very clear that the only way we have right standing with God is through the finished work of Jesus on the cross alone. He says, no one accuses, no one condemns. I think a great image of this is when, when Jesus is, is met with a group of religious leaders. They come to him with a woman that they say was caught in the very act of adultery. It makes me wonder how long they were peering through the door before they caught her. 
And it, it makes me wonder how, how they caught her, but they didn't catch him. It makes me wonder if he's in the crowd as well. Whatever their motives were, they, they don't seem to be right because the, their purpose was they were trying to show Jesus this woman has broken a, a law and, and the punishment for this in their culture, in their faith, was that she would be stoned with rocks. And they said, Jesus, what do you say? Because they know Jesus isn't about that. They're trying, to, they're trying to prove that Jesus is someone who doesn't follow the law. So, so they're like, what do you say about this? And the Bible tells us that Jesus... He kneels down, and he just begins writing in the sand. It doesn't tell us what he writes. And I've heard all kinds of speculation. So what, what, which verses in Scripture he may have quoted, which this or that. I kind of think he's writing the names of the women that condemn them. He's like Sarah, Veronica. Jessica, like he, he's, 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 yeah, and all these guys are seeing these names and like, oh, I don't know. And then the Bible says that, that all they start dropping their rocks and walking away because not, they all knew they had no ground to stand on. And then Jesus looks at this woman and he says, he says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, there are none. And he looks at her. Remember, he's the, he's the only one in the crowd that could have condemned. He had no sin. And he looks at her and he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The beauty of it is this, is that we are not made right by being perfect. We're made right through the blood of Jesus, and he does not condemn us. Even when our heart condemns us, he is greater than our heart. Can I say it like this? Jesus invested more in you than you've invested in yourself. Jesus loves you more than you love you. And he is for you. He's not against you. He's not waiting for you to mess up. This next verse is crazy. <clears throat> Listen to this. Because this first phrase, we, we, we quote it, but we don't quote the rest of the chapter, or the rest of the verse. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? And we're like, yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing. But listen to the next sentence. Can anything separate us from the love of God? Here's the next sentence. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or are destitute or are in danger or threatened with death? Can anything separate us from the love of God? Does it mean he no longer loves me if I've had a divorce? Does it mean he doesn't love me if I'm walking through a bankruptcy? Does it mean he doesn't love me if I'm trying to, trying to find my way in life and I just keep having health issues? Like, Does it mean he doesn't love me if I've got cancer? Paul goes on and he quotes a scripture. He says, as the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. So Paul's response is this. No, despite all these things, what things? Divorce, cancer, health issues, financial issues, relational issues, destitute. Despite all of these things, 
overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who experienced pain in life. He's not giving you this false, dreamy, cloudy belief that you're going to have a perfect life. You're still going to have struggles, but understand this. You can be victorious in Christ in the middle of your struggles, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your heartache through Christ Jesus. You can be a victor with him. What I love is this word victorious. It's, it's the same root word as we have in English for Nike. It, it, it's the same idea of, of, of Nike, but, but it doesn't mean like victorious like you won, like you, you, you won the fight and so you're a victor. No, it's the idea of a conqueror. So, so since you are in Christ, he is your victory. Like, like we have overwhelming victory through Christ who loved us. It's overwhelming conquering. It, it's the idea of a, a king that goes into a foreign land and doesn't just win the battle, but they conquer the land. So they go and they take all the spoils, all the rewards, and they bring it back to their own land. That's the idea here. Not, not that you just somehow overcome the difficulties of life and, and you sort of won them, but that through them, in the middle of the pain, I'm going to discover God's goodness and I'm, gonna, I'm going to plunder my struggle with cancer to discover the goodness of God. I'm going to plunder every hard conversation in a divorce to discover the goodness of God. I'm going to go into those seasons of life that are painful, and I'm going to plunder them, and I'm going to show what the overcoming victory, the, the conquering of God looks like. It's his conquering love. And so since God is for you, you have victory, and he is your victory. Like, like the enemy of your soul, there is an enemy after you. But he's on a short leash. He, he, he doesn't have as much power as you have. If you would just access the power, if you just open some gates in your life, you got power. And then he goes on, he says, and, and, and Ben can come. He says, and I am convinced. I love Everybody say convinced. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I believe in free will. I don't believe you're just, a, just an actor on, on a stage that has no role in this. I believe in free will. But this scripture is very clear. things that you think are separating you from God do not have power to separate you from God. For me, I was raised in church. I was raised in church that was very, de it was very devoted. 
we loved the Lord. But if I was honest, man, I didn't trust him. Because I feel like so many of my early memories are attached to this insecurity that I might think a bad thought and then suddenly have a heart attack and die. Go to hell. Might be driving in a car down a road. Oncoming traffic. I curse as I'm getting in the car accident. Crash, die, go to hell. And so my... my entire younger years, I was just constantly in this place of repentance. And I think it's repentance is a healthy posture when it's about aligning our lives with what God is wanting from us. But when it is, when it is this fear of God not being kind enough to handle my, my struggles, it is such a scary place to live. And I just want you to know today, this is basic. There is nothing that's going to separate you from the love of God. There's nothing. But height, depth, angels, demons, all the demonic forces of hell cannot separate you from the love of God. He loves you. He's crazy about you. You are his daughter. You are his son. And nothing separates you from the love of God. Can I say it like this? You have the key to the ranch. You can open any gate and go through any mountain on any valley. You have been granted full access to all the things of God. When you placed your faith in Jesus, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Would you stand with me all across the room? For you who came in this room feeling like a failure because you just can't get it right, can I tell you, nothing can separate you from the love of God. For you who came in the room thinking it's just been too long since you've gone to a church, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So collectively, we're going to, we're going to pray. We're all, as a group, we're all going to repent and believe. Here's what we're repenting for. Repentance means changing the way we think. So we're turning away from the way, a way we think. And we're turning away from this way we think where we say we We've got to be good enough to get God to like us. This way that says that as long as I do everything right, I can worship in church. As, as long as I avoid all the bad things, he'll claim me as his. We're repenting of that. And we're going to cling to the cross of Jesus, which is the only place we find hope. So pray something like this with me in your own words. <clears throat> God, I'm sorry for the way I have just not believed that you were 
kind at times. Sometimes I believe that you were willing to save me as long as I towed the line. And I'm growing and I still make mistakes. But Lord, I'm turning from that way of thinking now that I've got to get it right every time and I've got to feel ashamed when I don't. Would you forgive me? I'm turning towards you and I'm placing all of my faith and all of my hope not in my ability to get it right, but in Jesus' work on the cross. I believe that Jesus died, was buried for three days and rose again And that's where I place my hope. And that's what I trust. So right now, say this word with me. Say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. That's a great renewal. Step forward. He loves you. He's for you. If you get in a car accident and you say a bad word and you die, you're not going to hell. He loves you. He's going to adjust your mouth as you grow in him. But he loves you. He's not an unfaithful lover. Some of us, us, I feel like this in the room, I feel like there's... Look, there's some significance resistance to this whole idea because you've been in a relationship with somebody that was just unfaithful and untrustworthy. And whoever that is, I want to say this. He is not unfaithful. The Bible says this, that he is faithful and just. He's true to his word. He's kind. He loves you. And there is nothing that can separate you from his love. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys and let's continue to love God, love people and change the world.